With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch. Five bags for just $10 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Grammar Girl here, I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a segment about the word dilemma, another segment about the language of the TV show The Big Bang Theory, and a familect story. Let's get started. Do you have trouble spelling the word dilemma? I'm nearly certain I was taught the wrong spelling in school, and when I got older and checked a dictionary, I was shocked to find that the word is spelled D-I-L-E-M-M-A with two M's. Further, the only correct spelling is dilemma with two M's. But I thought it was spelled dilemma with an N after the first M, D-I-L-E-M-N-A. And it's not as if dilemma with an N is a substandard variant or a regional spelling. Dictionaries often note alternative spellings and sometimes even non-standard spellings, but dilemma with an N doesn't even show up that way. The wrong spelling shows up in a few books in the Google Book Corpus. Not a lot of books. It peaked around 1980 and has fallen since, but it's in what I can only call serious publications. Court reports, books that look like they came from academic presses, journal articles, and so on. They're the kinds of things that are probably written by well-educated people, but that also probably didn't have extensive copy editing. One of the reasons I was looking through the Google Book Corpus was to try to see if there was a children's book or English instruction book that had the misspelling. Some reason I would have been taught the wrong spelling in school, but I didn't find anything. From searching the web, I see that other people have also looked for such books and haven't found them. I was talking about this with a friend I went to school with, and she also remembers being shocked when she finally learned the correct spelling of dilemma as an adult, and she also insists we were taught the wrong spelling in school. And if you start poking around the internet, you'll see that this is a pretty common story. If we're all wrong, and we might be, since I've never seen proof that I was taught the wrong spelling, and nobody else seems to have come up with evidence either, this could be an example of something called the Mandela Effect. It's a form of collective misremembering, when many people remember the same thing, but they're all wrong. 
The phenomenon gets its name because it was first described in 2010 when many people claimed they remembered seeing Nelson Mandela's funeral on TV. The problem was that he was actually still alive. He died in 2013. How might something like that have happened with the spelling of the word dilemma? Well, one theory is that it's easy to think events actually happened the way we'd expect to see them. Anyone who's ever missed a typo in their own writing will know what it feels like to see the spelling you expect to see. So I wonder whether this spelling problem could be because words with two M's in the middle aren't very common, and lemma probably wouldn't be a word that children had heard. But nearly all children are familiar with the swear word that ends with M-N. So while we were snickering about swear words in grade school, maybe we looked at dilemma with its two weird M's, and our brains filled in the spelling that was much more familiar. We saw the spelling we expected to see. Michael Quinian, on his Worldwide Words website, speculates that it might also be a misspelling by comparison to less titillating M-N words like autumn, solemn, and column. He's also found examples in respectable literature going all the way back to the 1700s, and notes that because M-M and M-N look so similar on the page, it would be especially hard to notice that particular misspelling or typo. And then, regardless of how the misspelling became lodged in our minds, maybe when we encounter other people who misspell the word the same way, we construct actual memories of being taught in school. That must be what happened, right? How else could we both be wrong the same way? So that's one possible explanation for our collective misremembering. But I'm still holding out hope that someone will find proof we were all actually taught the wrong spelling. And then there's a second problem with the word dilemma. Some style guides say dilemma should be used only to describe a choice between two unpleasant options, but a lot of people use it differently. The di prefix in dilemma means two or double, which lends support to the idea that dilemma should be used to describe a choice between two and only two alternatives. The Associated Press and Gardner's Modern American Usage support that limitation and go further saying that dilemma should be used only for a choice between two bad options. Nevertheless, Garner also concedes that other uses are quote-unquote ubiquitous. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage and the Columbia Guide to Standard American English say it's fine to use dilemma to describe any serious predicament, and the American Heritage Guide to Contemporary Usage and Style takes an intermediate position. What's a writer to do? And is it a dilemma? (laughs) Unless you're following a style guide that requires you to limit dilemma to a choice between two bad options, I think it's okay to use dilemma to describe a difficult problem, even when alternatives aren't involved. I also think it's fine to use dilemma to describe a difficult choice between pleasant options, not just unpleasant ones. As Garner says, using it that way is ubiquitous. Still, you'll seem most clever when you use dilemma to describe a choice between two bad options. In other situations, before you use dilemma, ask yourself if another word like problem might be better. To remember that dilemma is best used for a choice between two things, and to remember that it's spelled with two M's in the middle, 
Think of the idiom on the horns of a dilemma, and picture the mascot of the University of Texas, a longhorned steer with two huge matching horns, like those two M's in the word dilemma and the two bad choices you're facing. May 16th brings the final episode of The Big Bang Theory, one of TV's most popular comedies. The show started in 2007 and has run for 12 seasons. The May 16th series finale will mark the show's 279th episode, making it the longest-running multi-camera sitcom on American TV. Fans of the show have come to love the contentious but ultimately caring relationships between the show's protagonists. Sheldon, Leonard, Raj, and Howard, and Penny, Amy, and Bernadette. Fans also appreciate the way the show has blended wordplay, pop culture lingo, and scientific jargon into the characters' day-to-day conversations. To celebrate the end of the show, here's some fun facts about the words and languages used on The Big Bang Theory. First, we'll talk about three fake languages used on the show. First, there's Klingon, the constructed language that was first developed for the TV series Star Trek, which ran from 1966 to 69. The first words of Klingon were developed by James Doohan, the actor who played Scotty on the original series. The invented language was then expanded in 1984 by linguist Mark Okrand, who was hired to flesh it out for the movie Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. It's since become a fully functioning language that's spoken by hardcore Star Trek fans worldwide. A recent Planet Money podcast episode even reported that about 1% of CAPTCHA farmers, those are people usually in countries like China, India, and Russia, who manually solve CAPTCHAs on websites all day long for fractions of pennies a shot. About 1% of CAPTCHA farmers were able to solve instructions given to them in Klingon. We also hear ubby-dubby on the Big Bang Theory. Ubby-dubby is a code language, kind of like Pig Latin. Penny and Amy use it so they can talk without Leonard and Sheldon understanding. To speak ubby-dubby, you add ub before each of the vowel sounds in a word. Instead of hello, you'd say habelabo. Instead of thanks, you'd say thabanks. Finally, there's op, used by Amy. To speak op, you spell out every word in a sentence except for the first word and add op to the end of each consonant. So instead of saying, hey, dude, you'd say, hey, dop you, dop Instead of what's new, you'd say, what's noppy wop. The show has also coined a number of words and meanings over the years. There's trestling, a game that has opponents play Tetris with one hand while arm wrestling with the other. There's Zazzy, a word that Sheldon used to mean sassy. He named a pet cat Zazzle, stating it was because she was so zazzy. There are the inhumanities, a dismissive term Sheldon uses to refer to all academic disciplines other than the sciences. There's satisficer, another of Sheldon's insults, which he uses to mean someone who accepts what's satisfactory to everyone else without considering their own happiness. There's the phrase qu'est-ce up, which is Howard's questionable translation of what's up into French. And of course, there's bazinga. That's Sheldon's catchword, his way of saying gotcha or fooled you. The word was thought up by show writer Stephen Engel. It's been used throughout the series, showing up 10 times in one season three episode alone. The Big Bang Theory has also celebrated research, study, and science. 
In response, scientists have celebrated the show. In 2012, Brazilian biologists named a newly identified species of bee, Euglossa bazinga. In 2013, a new family of rhizostome jellyfish was discovered, and its single species was named Bazinga reiki. And in 2013 and 2014, three baby colobus monkeys born at the Columbus Zoo in Ohio were named after Big Bang Theory characters. In 2013, the zoo welcomed baby Dr. Sheldon Cooper, and in 2014, babies Dr. Leonard Hofstadter and Howard Wolowitz. Finally, Grammar Girl listeners will know that we frequently refer to the Oxford English Dictionary. We use it to learn the origin and etymology of words and discover when they were first used. This important language resource received a shout-out in Season 2 of the show. In the episode, Leonard tells his friends that he's dated, quote, plenty of women, mentioning Joyce Kim and Leslie Winkle. Says Sheldon, notify the editors of the Oxford English Dictionary. The word plenty has been redefined to mean two. We'll end today on that solid Sheldon Cooper put down. If you like hearing about language in pop culture, you may want to check out two of our other recent episodes. They addressed languages used in the Game of Thrones and in Avengers Endgame. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. Next, I have a familect story from Travis. Hey, Grammar Girl. This is Travis from Dallas, Texas. And our familect story comes from our three-year-old son, who is learning vocabulary and he has a way of describing things that have happened before today. And that is with the word laster day. And so he'll say to us, questioning us, kind of confirming things that he thinks happened before today. Like if we had gone to the park the day before, uh, he would say, did we go to the park laster day? And, you know, of course we say yes. And we don't correct him. Uh, because the word is so endearing to us um, that all of us in the family, he has two older sisters, um, we all just kind of use the Lasterday um, family word to describe anything that's happened prior to today. So it's been a lot of fun for us. We know he'll get corrected on it soon enough, uh, but for now we want to enjoy it while it lasts. Thanks, Travis. That's a cute one. If you'd like to share your familect story, you can leave a voicemail at 83-321-4-GIRL. And if you want a better chance of hearing your story on the show, please include one story per voicemail. I've been getting a lot of messages of people telling me two or three stories, and I do love hearing them, but those are harder for me to use on the show than the ones that just include one story. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl, an author of seven books, including the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. And thanks to my audio producer, Nathan Sems. This show is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, and you can find articles that go with each episode at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Imagine bold, naturally-aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar, extraordinary dairy. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? 
Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.